Seltzer Kings podcasts. Well, this episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Of course, there were no shows about lorry drivers. You could drive across England in three hours, Gavin. The following podcast contains... Don't you cuss on this here radio. I apologize to all the friendly folk who are listening. I'll thank you not to use that kind of language in my presence. I happen to have my young son in the car, and I don't want to hear that kind of language. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you thought you could avoid the bear in the air when there's already a fox in the hen house on your tail, what the hell were you thinking? This is episode number 340. We are wall to wall and treetop tall edition of the show where we 1032 this alligator station and ride the line all the way to Hotlanta. Stay tuned. What the hell were you thinking? Podcast is brought to you by Pappy's Pep Pills. We're definitely not speed. When you've got 600 miles to go before sunrise and you can lose your load and the highway is starting to blur and your eyes are hanging low, you know it's time to pop two Pappy's Pep Pills and ride the line with a smile. Pappy's are definitely not methamphetamine. They're just a stimulant 40 times stronger than caffeine and last three times longer. We are pretty sure they're undetectable in a urine sample, but don't quote us on that. When you've got places to be and all night to get there, don't run the risk of running off the road. Pop some Pappy's Pep Pills and keep on trucking. To make sense of Convoy, consider what was happening in 1976. The United States was still reeling from a gas crisis. Motorists had to wait in line for hours to get fuel. Prices skyrocketed, and the federal government imposed a nationwide 55-mile-an-hour speed limit. The economy was in bad shape, and the trucking industry was hit hard. Well, we laid a strip for the Jersey Shore and prepared to cross the line. I could see the bridge was lined with bears, but it didn't have a doggone dime. Enter the Citizens Band Radio. Truckers used it to communicate, to help each other on the job, for camaraderie, even to keep one another awake on long hauls. But when the FCC eliminated the need for an operator's license to use a CB, suddenly anyone could listen in and join the conversation, and Bill Freeze did. He learned the code words truckers used and wove them into lyrics. Swindle sheets are logbooks. Chicken coops are way stations. Bears are police. When I was seven years old, I had my future totally figured out. I knew what I was going to be when I grew up and was well on my way to making that a reality. Because after all, I already had the hat. A hat. Hell yeah! From the age of seven through, say, 11, I wore a trucker hat like an Orthodox Jew wears a yarmulke. Aww, I don't like where this is going. What? It's a perfectly acceptable simile, and it's accurate. It used to infuriate teachers that I wore my hat in class, and come school picture day, they would literally lock my hat in their desk drawer so I wouldn't wear it in the photos. That hat defined who I was and who I wanted to be because I wanted to be a big rig driver. When I was seven, I asked for a CB radio for Christmas. Yep, totally didn't get it. 
being a truck driver fits all my criteria for being awesome. First of all, huge fucking trucks. I was a Peterbilt man myself. Some of my trucker wannabe friends pretended they drove Max, but I knew that they were all posers and fakers. A real long haul driver wannabe drove a Peterbilt for reasons. What reasons? Well, I I liked the logo, the red oval and the white font. It had a symmetry that spoke of a skilled graphic designer at the peak of their craft, creating an icon of simplicity and style that gave the brand a real eye appeal and memorability. And Peterbilt had a plant fairly close to the town where I was living, and uh, I saw a lot of them on the road. Now, look, I didn't know jack shit about the reality of being a truck driver. do you know? God, no, I probably know less than I knew then. But I grew out of my notions of being a truck driver in my early teens when I moved out of the South and the cachet of gimme hats, country music, and big trucks weren't such cultural icons. Also, the trucker moment had faded from the cultural zeitgeist and no one was talking about long hauls and asking for your 20 on the CB radio. But for a few years there in the late 1970s, the whole damn country was big into trucking and CBs. And that's the moment in time I came to talk about this week because I think it is long overdue for a comeback. So 1017, good buddy, and get ready to 1023 because I am putting on my Peterbilt trucker hat and we're hitting the road. For most of human history? Well, this isn't a world history exam. Fuck you, get your own podcast. As I was saying, for most of human history, bulk cargo had just one mode of transportation. I'm on a boat! I'm on a boat! If you wanted to move your goods from one place to another any further away than the nearest market town, you put it on the water. Here in the United States, the very first infrastructure projects taken on by the government was the creation of a network of canals that connected the rivers to the cities and eventually the ocean. And eventually, canals were replaced by the railroad, which was easier to build and didn't require require large teams of horses and oxen to get you where you were going. But whether it was a canal or a railroad, you still had the problem of getting the stuff to the actual places where it would be sold, and the solution to that was some kind of trucking. And that largely meant a horse and wagon well into the Industrial Revolution for the last mile from the transportation hub to the point of sale. You took your stuff off and put it onto a smaller means of conveyance and took it to where it needed to go. As automobiles grew larger and more powerful, trucks replaced horses and local truckers would then be moving the cargo. Is this going to be on the test? I'm trying to impart some knowledge here, people. As a system, this rail-to-consumer model worked well enough, but there were still large chunks of this very large country that weren't situation situated on the railroad, so truckers would have to haul goods out to East Bumblefuck on small state and county roads. It was time-consuming, and it was expensive. But in 1953, President Dwight David Eisenhower brought something back he saw in Germany during World War II. The best Nazi scientists. No. I mean, yes, absolutely he did that, but that's not what I'm talking about here. You see, Eicht loved the German highway system, the Autobahn. He's a musician, used to have a group, Autobahn. And he dreamed of connecting the country through a series of four-lane highways that could move commerce everywhere quickly and cheaply. Oh, yeah, and troops and tanks in case Canada got froggy on us or something. And in 1956, the Interstate Highway Act was passed and construction began on the interstate highway system, bringing the automobile age into full flower. And of course, those little clusters of fast food places and cheap hotels that make up so much of the American landscapes. But it also revolutionized American commerce. To be sure, bulk freight still moves mostly on the railroad, for you're not going to ship 50,000 tons of weed in a fleet of trucks. 
but consumer goods, TVs, washing machines, boxes of dildos. You could load those on the truck right at the factory and ship them straight to the fuck shops around the nation cheaply and quickly, and a long-haul trucking industry was born. By 1970, there were 18 million trucks on the road, most of them operated by independent truck drivers who own their own trucks and basically freelance jobs hauling freight for whomever paid them. Not all of them were long-haul drivers, but a huge percentage of them. And by comparison, today there are only three and a half million truck drivers, which is one of the reasons you're bitching about supply chain issues. Trucking had become more than just a way to get dildos from the factory to the fuck shop. Trucking became a full-on lifestyle and a culture of its own. And all that culture was about to have its moment in the sun. And it was in large part because of two things. First was country music, and second was the citizen band radio. With your CB radio, you didn't have to spend 16 hours hauling freight across state lines to experience the trucker life. You could click on your CB in the family truckster or from the comfort of your living room and find yourself immersed in the lingo and culture of the truck driving man. This realistic 40-channel CB radio is on sale right now at your nearby Radio Shack for the unbelievable low price of $49.95. That's 50% off our catalog price. And our realistic model 466 is ready to use on all 40 CB channels. For under $50, get the convenience and security of two-way CB communication today. The sale-priced realistic 40-channel CB radio only at Radio Shack. Attending company. Trucker culture had been creeping around the edges of pop culture for years, particularly in the country and western set, where trucking songs had more or, more or less replaced cowboy songs as de rigueur. They spanned from the horny truck driving man. Who is a girl wearing nothing but a smile and a towel in the picture on the billboard in the field near the big old highway? Rolling down the highway in my Jimmy hauling parade from Chicago to St. Louis. Lord, I see her every day. All the way through to the ghost truck driving man. There at that crossroads was the end of a line for Big Joe and Phantom 309. But every now and then, some hiker will come by, and like you, Big Joe will give him a ride. Here, have another cup, and forget about the dime. Keep it as a souvenir from Big Joe and Phantom 309. And it was also popular because truckers listened to country music. They liked to hear songs about themselves. And there were a lot of truckers. So you had a lot of country songs about trucking, mostly about just truckers being truckers. Well, I pulled out of Pittsburgh, rolling down that eastern seaboard. Diesel wound up and she's a running like I never before. There's a speed zone ahead, with all right. I don't see a cop in sight. Six days on the road and I'm gonna make it home tonight. But then something strange happened. The energy crisis, which has been going on all decade, only gets worse with Middle Eastern turmoil. Californians sat fuming in their cars, waiting impatiently in long lines, wondering who and what had put them there. Somehow, there wasn't enough gasoline to go around. But prices rose elsewhere, and lines began forming, and Americans began realizing that California was not unique. California was first. 
People in this country always worry about the price of gas, but this was worried about the availability of gas. While the oil producers were getting ready for another price increase, the oil consumers were beginning to meet in Japan. President Carter's state visit began today. Is there anything immediate you can do to reduce the gas lines in the United States? My information is that in the next few weeks, hopefully sooner, there will be an increase in supply of gasoline to the affected areas. And as things got tighter, people got angrier, and truckers were the first ones to get angry. From History.com, quote, At 10 p.m. on December 3, 1973, a 37-year-old trucker from Overland Park, Kansas, named J.W. Edwards stopped his rig suddenly in the middle of Interstate I-80 near Blakesley, Pennsylvania. He picked up a CB microphone. The insurrection he was just about to start using his now famous handle River Rap would give America's independent truckers their first national voice and along the way elevate them to folk hero status. Edwards was beyond frustrated and scared for his livelihood. His job hauling meat from the Midwest to New York had become an agonizing slog because of the oil embargo levied by the Middle Eastern Petroleum producing cartel OPEC against the United States for support of Israel and had dramatically jacked up diesel fuel prices. With rationing imposed, he was stopping at virtually every filling station along his route. Worse still, the federal government was considering a national maximum speed limit of 55 miles per hour. For long-haul truckers, the time lost meant money lost, and oil geopolitics had made Edwards' $12,000 a year job even more precarious. Near Blakesley, his tank reached empty, out of fuel but full of frustration the truckers were the forgotten little guys in the global fossil fuel wards, Edwards decided on the spot to take his CB and make some noise. That's a big 10-4, good buddy. From there, the protest grew into a national movement, basically a trucker strike in all but name. Again, from History.com, quote, will fuel prices still surging, independent truckers continued their work stoppages, including a two-day strike on December 13th and 14th. To keep as many trucks as possible idle, zealous protesters harassed and sabotaged non-participating operators, slashing tires, shooting vehicles, and in one instance, stabbing a driver. Truckers realized they needed to organize, and almost instantly, dozens of independent trucking associations formed. Edwards himself became the first president of the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association, or OOIDA, but didn't stay long. JW was a colorful guy and could tell a story with the best of them, but he wasn't an owner-operator, says Todd Spencer's OOIDA's current president. He figured out pretty quickly that he was in over his head. Protests continued into 1974, culminated in a major strike coordinated among the newly formed trucker associations. And on January 31st, 1974, commerce ground to a halt as independents garaged their rigs and blockaded roads. At times, they grew violent, dropping bricks off overpasses onto moving rigs, unquote. 1973 saw the first gas crisis, but it was just the precursor of a decade of people being obsessed by the price of gas, which was spiking along with everything else. All through the decade, consumers complained, but it was hitting the trucking industry hardest, and it would culminate in the gas crisis of 1979, which made 1973 seem like a cakewalk. We're going to talk about the gas crisis in an upcoming show, but for now, let's just say that Americans were really pissed about ballooning gas prices, gas shortages, lines at the pump, and most of all, they were pissed about driving 55 miles an hour. In 1974, largely in response to the first gas crisis, President Dick Nixon pushed through and got past the first ever national speed limit, imposing a top speed of 55 miles an hour on all federally funded roads, which, hey, those were all roads and people fucking hated it. 
and the public face of that hatred became truck drivers who went from being a job to a folk hero almost overnight. By 1976, truckers were everywhere. Wall Street bankers were wearing plaid shirts, trucker hats, and slinging CB lingo like they were pulling freed out of Omaha. Wikipedia put it like this, quote, plaid shirts, trucker hats, CB radios, and CB slang were popular, not just with drivers, but among the general public. Author Lawrence Olette examines the work lives of truckers in his book, Pedal to the Metal. The association of truckers with cowboys and related myths was perhaps most obvious during the urban cowboy craze of the late 1970s, a period that saw middle-class urbanites wearing cowboy clothing and patronizing simulated cowboy nightclubs. During this time, at least four truck driver movies appeared, CB radio became popular, and truck drivers were prominently features in all forms of popular media, unquote. But it was a song that really put driving big rigs and outlaw truckers into the brains of the masses and one 70-year-old fat boy from East Tennessee. With the number one record in the country, here's C.W. McCall. This song was a fucking phenomena. Of course, it hit number one on the Billboard country charts in the States, but it also sat at number one on the overall Billboard chart in January of 1976, a month after its release. And in context, you can understand why it was a hit in America, but it was also rocking the charts in Canada, the UK, Australia, and New Zealand. Oh, yeah, and Ireland, Germany, and France. Oh, mon Dieu. What makes it stranger is the singer C.W. McCall was not a country singer. Indeed, there was no such person as C.W. McCall. C.W. McCall was a character invented to sell loaves of white bread. Merde alors! I mean, I don't believe this. Quoting from thedrive.com, quote, It just so happened that the one person ready to capture that zeitgeist was the creative director William Bill Freeze of the Omaha-based ad firm Bozell & Jacobs. In 1973, Freeze was tasked with creating a series of regional commercials for the Metz Baking Company, Old Home Bread. Inspired by his childhood in rural Iowa, he wrote a story about a truck driver named C.W., supposedly short for country and western, and a waitress named Mavis Davis. Set to catchy music with Freeze himself performing the poetic baritone narration, the first three spots featured CW driving an international harvester fleet star semi and braving various challenges like rain potholes and heat waves while delivering a cornucopia of delicious bread products. Each time he pulls into the old home filler up and keep on trucking cafe, Mavis the gum-chewing eyelash-batting waitress greets him with a warm smile and after a quick bite of water, Whatever he just delivered, CW hits the road again. We'll truck an old home just west of Cleaver. Road was wet, slick as a beaver. A windshield wiper been a whopping up a storm all day. Heavy precip. Well, pop the clutch, gave a tranny a spin, geared on down, slid on into the old home, fill her up and keep on trucking cafe. Hung up my slicker. Well, I grabbed the stool, spied the waitress. Pretty little thing, name of Mavis. Ordered 
up a nice fresh old home pecan roll and a cup of hot sea. Well, I poured the coffee, she is hot as a pistol. Took one sip, destroyed my whistle. I had to cool my choppers with additional old home rolls. It is guaranteed fresh. Well, I looked outside, it was cold and wet. I had a truck full of rolls, so there we sat. Just Mavis and me and the truck and the rolls and the rain. Yeah, let her pour. Well, them old home rolls was a pure delight. And if it hadn't cleared, I'd stayed all night at the old home filler up and keep on trucking cafe. Old home is good rolls. Starring Jim Finlayson on CW and Gene McBride Caps as Mavis, the ads debuted later that year. Audiences fell in love with the pair. The ads won a Clio Award in 1974 and sales of Old Home Red Sword. More commercials followed and after several were filmed in the town of Pisgah, Iowa, the local cafe owners renamed their restaurant after them. The Des Moines Register even published the air times of the ads so locals could tune in, unquote. And if you think this is strange, all I can say is... Hold on to your butt. Because Bill Freeze capitalized on this sudden regional fame when a friend of his in the music business came calling. I'm positive you have never heard the name Chip Davis in any association beyond the one kid from high school who caddied at the local country club, wound up becoming a state senator, and was convicted of taking bribes. But this Chip Davis wasn't a caddy. He was a musician, and he was in a pretty fucking famous band that even today gets a seasonal bump every year. Hi there. I'm Chip Davis, composer and creator of Mannheim Steamroller. Yeah, the guy who runs the perennial Christmas favorite Mannheim Steamroller convinced Bill Freeze to go into the studio and cut an album as C.W. McCall from the commercials. And one of the songs that came out of those sessions was, of course, Convoy. Again, quoting from The Drive, quote, Unexpectedly, Convoy hit number one on the country and pop charts, catapulted Freeze to the real stardom, and further cemented the trucker's place in pop culture that decade. Featuring a fictional truck driver with a CB handle rubber duck, it tells the story of a group of truckers forming a convoy where multiple speeding semis join together on the highway so the police can't stop them all at once. Americans love the rebellious tale of racing across the country, breaking the recently imposed 55-mile-an-hour national speed limit and evading capture from an increasing number of bears. Though entirely fictional, the song was inspired by reality. Freeze owned multiple CB radios and overheard the rubber duck name when listening to chatter between drivers. And by the mid-1970s, the trucking industry was being squeezed by the rising fuel costs and lower speed limits, both of which hurt productivity and profitability. Convoy was seen as a working class anti-government protest song and soon Freeze was touring the country as CW a call and performing on network TV. What started out as a few commercials about hamburger buns led to national fame and fortune. Unquote. That little song Convoy would go on to become a motion picture in 1978 but that probably only happened because another little motion picture came through first like a black Trans Am running blocker on all the smoky bears out there and cleared the way for it. You probably know the movie I'm talking about. At last, a warm, sensitive, touching story about the close personal relationship between a man and a woman, between a trucker and his dog. Fred, I'm so damn tired of picking you up. I got Fred! Between a father and his son. No way that you could come from my loins. And how they all took to the road one day for a quiet little drive in the country. From 
Georgia to Texas and back in 28 hours flat with a truckload of bootleg beer. Smokey and the Bandit, a movie that cost just a shade over $4 million to make, went on to make for the producers of the film $700 million, and the rush for trucker cash was on. There were, of course, more trucker movies. Convoy is considered a classic of the genre, along with Smokey and the Bandit. Another classic was Clint Eastwood, who got behind the wheel in every which way but lose, featuring Clint, a truck, and an orangutan named Clyde. Except uh, this time, ain't gonna be no any roads. No, this time it's gonna be a eight rows. <laughs> right turn, Clyde. <laughs> Chuck Norris donned a trucker hat and breaker breakers searching for his missing brother and driving a big rig, highballing with Jerry Reed, who definitely wasn't playing the snowman from Smokey and the Bandit in a different movie, or even Flatbed Annie and Sweetie Pie, where lady truckers kept trying to find a way to keep their husband's truck from the repo man. And on television... We had a thinly veiled every which way knockoff at the same time that ran for four seasons, starring B.J. McKay and his partner, a chimpanzee named Bear. But of course, every child of the 70s knows that the real star of B.J. and the Bear was not B.J. nor the monkey. It was the iconic big red and white Mac Big Rig. Hey there, where you going? Not exactly knowing. It was a dumb show, but it was a fucking awesome truck. I mean, BJ was so popular, it got a spinoff in the form of a thinly veiled Sheriff Buford T. Justice knockoff called Sheriff Lobo, played by Claude Akins, who was a heavy in season one of BJ and the Bear. And of course, there was Dukes of Hazards, which was just smoking the Bandit, but instead of a cool-ass truck and a Trans Am, there was a cool-ass Dodge Charger with a problematic flag on the top and Catherine Bach running around in shorts so short, they were just basically a denim G-string. Her character, so popular, it would inspire a fashion trend of short shorts so short, they were basically just denim G-strings. God, the 70s were amazing. Alas, nothing good can last forever. Not even if they're driving a badass big rig and have an animal companion not suited for life in the cab of a truck. By the 1980s, gas prices were down. Ronald Reagan was in office lifting our national malaise. And instead of folk hero outlaws right in the road, we had yuppie bankers doing lines of blows in the bathroom. Though to be fair, there were an awful lot of truckers doing lines of blow in the bathroom to the truck stop as well. Americans didn't want any more modern cowboys and their dinner clap babes. They wanted glitz, glamour, and neon colors. Truckers fell out of favor rapidly, going from heroes to sketchy speed freaks, banging lot lizard prostitutes in a rest stop. By 1983, Smokey and the Bandit was on its third film, and Burt was long gone from the franchise. It was just B-list actors treading waters for one more paycheck on a long overdue cultural moment. And by 1986, the final nail in the trucker coffin came when a grinning goblin 18-wheeler trundled over a truck stop waitress in the parking lot of the Dixie Boy truck stop. We made you! Can't you understand? Want to know? 
No one was putting CB radios in their Ford station wagons and the big trucks returned to the world of country music as though we had all never spewed incomprehensible nonsense words at each other on the playground and nightclubs like they meant something. A fat boy from Tennessee traded his trucker hat for heavy metal t-shirts and decided that maybe driving huge ass trucks 16 hours a day wasn't the way he wanted to make a living, probably because he had finally learned how to drive and hated parallel parking and realized that there was no fucking way and realized there was no fucking way he was ever going to be able to do that in a big rig. But, you know, we'll always have trucker hats, which for some god awful reason make a comeback every 10 years or so when some Hollywood hot boy sees Smokey and the Bandit for the first time and thinks he's the first one to ever ironically wear a ball cap with a Peterbilt logo on there. Yeah, you know what? Check in with me when you're driving cross-country with a chimpanzee in the cab of your big rig, pal. Fucking fake-ass wannabe trucker wannabe. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> that is it for our show this week. This is one of those shows that just kind of came out of nowhere. I hadn't really planned on dropping a new show this week. It's Thanksgiving weekend when this was originally recorded. But I was being cool on the stool and watching some Smokey and the Bandit when my heaters got a glow in and my manners started showing. And we all got all ratchet jaw on the idea of doing a show about CB radios. And that turned into a show about the trucker boom of the 1970s. And pretty soon I was going to the barnyard with this show. Now, y'all can be a good neighbor, because apparently truckers don't say good buddy anymore for some pretty homophobic reasons, but y'all can do me right by rating or review this show wherever you get your pods, so all the folks out there with their ears on can wind her up and get her on, come on down and decide to catch us on the flip-flop. Y'all 1041 us on the social at the hell underscore podcast on Twitter, the show name on Facebook, and what the hell were you thinking pod on Instagram for us. And all of our shows are on our home 20 at whatthehellpodcast.com. You can help us pay for our motion lotion by kicking us a buck at patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. And all the insurance policies on our rigs are underwritten by Seltzer Kings. So for me, Dave, you got the one Kansas drifter wall-to-wall and treetop tall. I'm ten and listening on the setting side. We gone. Bledsoe producer Bonnie Five sitting on the get-on shot you in the glass hole. What? Uh, no, no, no. I'm not. No, no, no. That's not. That's not a thing. Gavin and all the fictional wiggle wagons on this show. We want to say we are southbound and down with a hammer down, keeping the rubber side down and the bugs off the glass and ten ten on the side. We'll see you all next week. Hi, I'm Greg Evigan. I'm a second-rate star. Got an 18-wheeler going mighty far. My only steady friend is a chimpanzee. 
We drive around dodging Smokies, losing sleep, saying okie dokies. Smokey and the Bandit was never like this. <laughs> well, it's PJ and the Bear, watch it in your underwear. It's the 70s, so don't you care that it's just real dumb. Well, half the time I'm What the hell were you thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Daddy, the top came off. No shit. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.